Welcome back to the Like Minds Podcast, an open journal for creatives and entrepreneurs. I'm Josh Allen, joined as always by my friend Adam Davis. That's right. And today in the Like Minds Podcast, we interviewed Jason Jacobson from the Founder Institute, the, the branch of the Founder Institute from Chicago. Uh, he is very well versed in working with startups, and he had a lot of great information when it comes to what the startup culture is like, even the uh, startup scene in Chicago, and really what makes good founders. Mm-hmm. We had a great time uh, talking with Jason. I feel like I uh, learned a lot just talking to him, and I think you guys are too. So we're going to go ahead and get right into the episode. guys welcome back to the like minds podcast today we have jason jacobson on with us really excited to do this uh, jason is the managing director of the founder institute how are you doing today man i'm good thank you for having me on your show for sure so uh for those of us or for those of people watching and listening uh can you tell us a little bit about what the founder institute is and what your role is there absolutely so the founder institute was started in 2009 by a serial entrepreneur, Adeo Racy, out of Silicon Valley. And he wanted to mitigate the startup failure at the onset, really the idea stage. So fast forward 11 years, this program now is in almost 200 cities around the world. Thousands of people have finished the program. And we launched Chicago when it was in the first 20 cities. So I've been running it here for uh, almost nine years. We've had over 100 founders graduate from our program. And it's a pre-seed technology accelerator. It's a three and a half month program. We assist founders that are at the idea stage, early product development or early market acceptance phase to really take that business, that idea and and grow it and take it to the next level. We do that through a business building curriculum. They follow this curriculum and they're working about 20 hours on average a week based on the guidance we provide them. We also have mentors who are all tech entrepreneurs and every week we listen to usually up to three mentors speak on the topic for that week. And they give feed, the mentors also give feedback on the founder's ideas and they connect with them afterwards. And we have accountability. Only about 30% of our founders actually finish the program. It's a tough program. It's not for everyone. And, you know, a high percentage, I'd say close to 90% of our founders have day jobs. And this is designed to be a part-time program. So average age is 34 they have day jobs, many have families, so they have to juggle all this, and sometimes it just moves too fast for them, or they realize that entrepreneurship is not for them, and they want to do this at a different time, so we really push them hard, and we just finished our 12th cohort a couple of weeks ago, and we started with 28 founders, and we finished with 10 founders. Okay. Wow, okay, so you said it was pre-seed, and kind of people with uh, at the idea stage looking to get together and, and really get their startup organized uh does it offer any value for startups that may be like just starting to get revenue for the first time yeah absolutely so we have founders that come in at that stage and they're full-time sometimes as well so we have this curriculum as i mentioned we have an advanced curriculum for those that are further along that challenges them and gives them uh, more challenging stuff to do earlier than the other founders would do and it really it pushes them also to rethink what they've done and, and redo things if they need to. But it gets them to really look at their whole business holistically. 
And one of the key benefits of this program is the connections they make. We get them integrated into the entrepreneurial community. They meet all these seasoned entrepreneurs who are mentors. We have 30 to 35 active in any given cohort, but we have well over 100 mentors that have participated and contributed in the last nine years. So the connections alone are pretty important. So some of the founders recognize that. Founder Institute also has graduate resources. There's additional programs that we provide at, at no cost to help founders raise money, to help founders figure out their product market fit better. Uh, we have, uh, you know, and we're always looking to build stuff. So our corporate office manages that, but locally here, I run the program. I do a lot of events to generate interest and bring the community together and then get people to sign up. I provide all the mentors. I find all the mentors to the program. I facilitate all of our weekly sessions. I'm there as a resource with founders, give them feedback on their pitches, on their business idea. I connect them to other resources, even outside of the program or other mentors that are not part of that cohort. So it's been a passion of mine to really support this community. And I've been involved for almost 20 years in some capacity. So uh, there's a lot of benefits like that for our founders and, and a lot of them recognize that. So I will help them here, connect them to other resources, whether it's investors or other people, even once they're done with the program. Interesting. So, so going off of what you just said, uh, investors specifically, I, I have a question for you because this is kind of a thought. I'm a, I'm a founder of a local Chicago startup and I've been doing this for the past year or so. Um, one of the like thoughts that is in my mind and it's kind of like this narrative out there in the, the ether, if you will, uh, it's the idea that if you're not in Silicon Valley, then your chances of being a good startup and getting investment are significantly less. I wanted to get your opinion on, do you, do you think that's, do you think that's the right way to go about it? Or do you think that you can be a great startup anywhere based off of the merit of your company, uh, especially in Chicago? Absolutely. I'm very bullish on the Midwest and especially Chicago. We have a lot of great innovation happening here. Look at Grubhub, right? They have a $2 billion IPO, uh, Uber's looking to buy them. I mean, we have a lot of great success stories here. Now, we don't have as many as maybe out in the coast, but it's all about numbers. We don't have as many people starting companies here, but the Midwest has the highest uh, investor returns out of any region in the country, and Chicago has the highest investor returns out of any city. So we have real activity happening here. Founders here build businesses for profitability, and you know they they build sustainable businesses here. So you know, they're starting at a lower valuation as well, and they grow it to profitability, grow the company, and then the valuations get, get higher. And it's a different mindset and a different, uh, you know, type of entrepreneur here. But the cost of living here is also a lot lower than the coast, Silicon Valley or New York, uh, a lot better here. So there are companies relocating their, uh, to the Midwest and Chicago specifically because the cost of living is much lower. We have great talent here. We have second highest concentration of universities outside of Boston per capita in Chicago, but the Midwest itself has, you know, has the highest amount of IT graduates in the, in the country, the Midwest itself. Yeah. Uh, we have, you know, I think third highest, uh, third largest uh, public school system in Chicago. So we have a lot of great resources here. We have over a hundred of the fortune 500 companies. So there's access to big companies here. Uh, we're a small city here, but 
at the same time, we're very connected. Uh, we're a large city, but it seems small because we're very connected. So this is definitely a great place to build a business. And there's a lot of great resources here that have popped up the last seven years, you know, since I've been running the Founder Institute, really the last nine years. Is, um, are there any, uh, is there any time spent in the Founders Institute um, course on, uh, on networking? And, and uh, I know you said that you, you get feedback on pitches and stuff like that, but um, do, you, do you guys go into uh, what it takes to build a network and uh, make connections and, and build relationships? We do not, but that's something I've been doing my entire career. So it is something I believe should be integrated into it. It's not part of the curriculum, but it, you know, it's, it's somewhat inherent because we connect them already to these mentors and they have to build the relationships with them. And some of them become formal advisors. Sometimes they invest as well. So it's a starting point, but it's not, you know, we don't really explain it to them in the context that you were asking, but I think they get it, but we could probably do a little bit more, especially service providers and other folks that they need to work with. Uh, a lot of it's referrals. We have a, a partner network of over 200 businesses that hit all areas that startups need for services. And so, you know, we build that network for them, but they also need to do it themselves. And so we also have a graduate Slack channel in Chicago where we, we do our best to keep the local grads together and interact with each other. That's and good. then we invite them to our events. We do a lot of events, so people meet people that way as well. That's really cool. Uh, and then, so another question I had a few minutes ago: um, as a, if I'm a founder, how do I know that um, the founders in, or founder institute is the resource for me? Is the is the way that I want to go? Um, that it is uh, uh, what I should what I should do. And so, is it? Uh, and then one other question: Is, is there? Is, I assume there's just a tuition for the uh, for the program. So yes, there it's, you know, depending on when you apply, it's 1100 or a thousand dollars in Chicago. It's, it's more in other markets and less in other markets, all based on cost of living. We do offer some fellowships. We have certain uh, types of founders that we're looking for. So we like female founders, we're trying to really boost up the female, uh, female tech entrepreneurs. So we offer a couple of fellowships for certain types of founders they have to get accepted, then we'll award it to one or two. We've done it for Latin American founders. We've done it for African American founders. We've done it for veteran founders. So we, we have different groups that we're really trying to boost up uh, and provide resources for them. But for most, it's 1,000 to 1,100. And um, you know we can offer specialized, uh, fellow, we call them fellowship. We've we've done for fintech before. So we've had PayPal as a sponsor one time, and they, we did a fintech fellowship. So, you know, we're looking to do a supply chain fellowship potentially in the future. So, uh, and then and then the other, we're not a funding accelerator like uh, something like a TechStars, where it's more of a seed accelerator, and these are full time founders. But we what we do is, uh, which is unique for our program and really any program, every founder provides 4% of his or her business uh, up in equity, but it's split four ways. 1% is with all the founders in the cohort, so they, in, in essence, own a piece of each other's business. 1% to the mentors, that's how we compensate them. And 1% with the Founder Institute corporate and 1% with the local team, which is myself and anyone else that supports me. And if any of those founders in that cohort has an exit with their business, whatever that 4% of value is, everyone gets a piece of it. So it's very unique and uh, you know, it's a, everyone's aligned and there's instant camaraderie. 
And one of the most successful companies to come out of the Founder Institute is a company called Udemy. If you may have heard of them, they came come out of Silicon Valley. They're probably the most highly valued company out of the portfolio. And, and, you know, they're, you know, they've done well for, for themselves. Of course, it's a great, uh, story for the Founder Institute as well. So there are companies like that in other parts of the world that are very valuable for those regions. And we have, we've had for success sure. here in Chicago too. So. For sure. So you've had a lot of time to work with, with founders and you probably, you said you've been working for the last nine years. Is that, did I hear that correct? With the nine Institute? years with the Founder Institute, but I do work outside of Founder Institute and even okay. before that, but yeah. So you, you've seen a lot of founders in the last decade, I'll say. In your opinion, what are some key characteristics that make really, really good founders, like the top 5% of founders, if you will? So they're, they're, they take guidance from people. You know, they admit that they don't know it all. They realize they have, um, they're deficient in some areas, so they're good leaders and they bring in other people that are better at things than them and they're not, they you know, in the beginning, they have to do everything, but they realize their limitations and will bring other people in. And then just, you know, mentors, having mentors and advisors and, and listening to their guidance is pretty important. Uh, people that have had experience. Uh, also being able to adjust and adapt to the conditions. And especially what's happening right now is a testament to founders that are going to be successful. There are founders that adjust are adjusting their models right now and they're thriving those that aren't able to adjust, I mean, sometimes it's circumstances, the type of business, there's just not much they can do, but others that can evolve and figure it out are going to thrive. And when things come back around, they have a new market potentially or new revenue stream. And, and so uh, being able to not give up and be able to, you know, sometimes you have to just say, Hey, it's not going to work and get, you know, you just end it and there's no, no issue with that. You know, you learn from it, but, good founders adjust and adapt. And especially some of the most founders, their first revenue model, our first business model is not the one that's going to do well. It's, it's going to take multiple iterations. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, perseverance. So that, uh, that's good. We, we, um, I feel like a lot of people who are entrepreneurs and, and want to be founders can end up spending a lot of time and there's a lot of resource to, uh, to let you know what a good founder is, good entrepreneurs. Um, and, and what to strive for. What is a tell of somebody that may be lacking in a, a very important area? Because maybe this could help somebody. Uh, as we spend so much time, you know, kind of knowing what the right thing is, we may just completely not realize that, oh, I've got this one trait that is completely counter to all of those things. Is, is there in your experience uh, any type of tell that uh, shows uh, a, a lacking in some of those areas? So it's interesting, the Founder Institute uh, has a entrepreneurial DNA test that all of our applicants take to understand what their entrepreneurial architect type is. So we look at, see how open they are, how their, their fluid intelligence, their coachability, all these different factors. And that's a big telling sign. If, if they don't do well in that test, then we're not gonna accept them into the program. And, and so, you know, sometimes we let some of those in that are on the border and usually they don't finish the program because of those traits. And so, you know, if, if you're, you know, and we want to build a good uh, cohort. So if one bad apple can bring the whole cohort down. So, uh, you know, so, so I'd say one trait specifically is those that think they know everything and they're not willing to listen to people and 
you know, they don't modify, they don't, uh, and I'm not saying everyone knows everything, but you know, they're getting different feedback. They have to be at, at least, um, able to modify based on the feedback. A good founder can take different feedback and it's conflicting and adjust what's based on his or her, uh, goals for the business and mission for the business. So the stubborn founders definitely, especially in the early stage, and this is their first company, they need to be able to listen and, and, and not, and not take it serious. I mean, well, don't take it personal, right? This is, this is for the good of your business and you're going to have to have a thick skin. Our founders get really good thick skin by the time they're done. They have, we have them prepare these pitches that we call it hot seat every week. They need to have their pitch ready to speak to do to the mentors to give to the mentors or randomly select which ones are going to pitch. They get rated one through five and they get constructive feedback. They're super nervous about it. It's the first time doing it. They, uh, they take it personal. And by the time they're done, they're very confident. They have a, a nice looking deck because they don't start with a deck. They have a nice looking deck and they're confident and they have a, they're, they, uh, you know, so they can't take it personal in the beginning. Uh, mentors are going to give you feedback based on what you hear. And so I'd say you have to be open to, to feedback. Right. And did you, so gotcha. you said it's a, uh, you guys do a DNA test. How does that work? It's part of the application process. So we, it's an online test. They takes about two hours. A lot of it's around uh, personality style and oh. uh, IQ, more IQ kind of stuff. And then some of it's around risk tolerance. And they, so they take all the, they answer these questions online and then it's on the back end, it's analyzed. And then we know if they're the right founder for the program. Okay, cool. Gotcha. So there's been tens of, you know, over 10,000 of those tests taken over the years. So the Founder Institute, if you go to the Founder Institute website at fi.co, there's actually some uh, entrepreneurial archetypes and some results of that study on there. So you get a sense of what what the data has been over the years and what that looks like. Got you. So I have a question. So let's say you, you do come across a group of really good founders and they have a very good idea and they're very eloquent about presenting their idea to investors to the point where they do get investors. My question to you is in your experience uh, over the last decade, what role does the investor typically play in this uh, interaction? Um, because when I, when I think about this and when I think about someone investing in my own company, I would want someone to invest, uh, I would want that person to be willing to almost like be, uh, be able to guide us through like diff difficult situations and have a very good network of people to introduce us to like, Hey, if you guys met th this, uh, company yet, I think you might be able to have a collaborative experience there. So in your experience, what role do investors typically play in startups? So it depends if you're looking for strategic investor, passive investor, active investor. So it depends. I'd say in the early stage, because the teams are pretty light. And, um, you know, it's, I think it's good to have an investor that can also be there as a guy, as a resource. Most investors at the early stage want to be a resource so they can open up their network to find other investors, to find potential customers, to find potential employees or management team members, maybe a co-founder. So that's generally, you know, generally at the early stage, they want to advise them, especially if they're entrepreneurs themselves, they're there as a resource uh, for the entrepreneur. Uh, so, you know, sometimes, sometimes the money is just money and there's nothing else attached to it. But in the early stage, 
you know, it's important, I, I believe, to look for some of your investors to be actively helping you. VCs are different. I mean, VCs are very pretty active um, most of the time. Not always. Angels, it depends on, you know, the level of engagement you're looking for. Hmm. And that's, that, um, the, uh, that's some of the mentorship that uh, uh, founders at the Founder Institute probably receive is because that's a question I had is when do you know you're ready to seek investment as a founder? So there's different stages. So the early stage is bootstrapping your own money or being creative to get things done. Maybe you, you barter services, you give up equity, uh, and then friends and family. So then this is going to people that are close to you that want to see you succeed. They care, don't care as much about the company being successful. I mean, it's important to them, but they care more about you being successful. And then you go after professional investors that are outside your immediate circle. And they're, they're really focused on finding those good opportunities that's going to make a return on their investment. And so you've got to really have your information ready to go. Uh, and then there's VCs, which are usually once you have some good traction, you know, decent amount of revenue, then they're, you know, that's a harder money to get, but that is the next logical path. Not everyone gets VC. Uh, it's a small sliver, but the fact is, you know, going back to your original question, when do you need capital? It's really based on the stage of when you want to grow and what resources you need. So if you want to get ahead of your expenses, you're going to need some additional capital, and especially if you, just don't have enough to build out the team, build out the product, build whatever it is. So it's, uh, it's really, you know, it's the beginning stages of, of when you're starting to grow really. So you'll know when you're, when you need capital, if you want to build something to scale, you know, you can build a business without capital, uh, without, without raising additional capital, but anything with high growth potential, especially in the technology space, you're going to need additional capital. So, okay. So I follow that. So, uh, so a business that, um, isn't looking to, to, to scale really big can probably go about it there, uh, or, or has the, a chance to go about it, uh, with their own resources, but capital is really, um, it, it's really necessary when you're talking about scaling, when you're talking about going outside of markets that you're currently in and, um, and definitely right. in locations that you're definitely in. Okay. Yeah, I mean, if you're a consumer brand, for example, you have to spend a lot of money on marketing. I mean, you, you, you need a lot of capital. Um, you know, any business with any kind of scale that you want to build, you, ha you need capital. Mm -hmm. yeah, and Actually, on that note, um, how do you know when you're a business that needs to scale and are there businesses that would be better off just, you know, uh, staying in their lane and not scaling? Maybe because I feel like that could be something that, if you're an inexperienced founder, um, and especially in the age that we live in where entrepreneurship has almost got this rock star status, right? And everybody sees, uh, you know, what it's like to be an entrepreneur, what it's like to yeah. be an entrepreneur on uh, social media. And they hear things like, um, I need investment and I need to scale when maybe that's just not the best fit for uh, that person in their business. How do you, how do you know when you need to scale? I know you mentioned um, if you're uh, uh, an what would what, you say uh, in the consumer market, you need to spend a lot of uh, uh, money on marketing, but what are some moments that you might be able to tell whether or not you need to scale? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, 
only so much you can grow in a certain region. So we, we have our, you know, any early stage founder and we advocate this at the Founder Institute should really be, I believe, narrowly focused in the beginning to, to be strategic and, you know, don't try to do too much at once. Just, you know, own your market or, you know, be the dominant player in your specific market. So that could be a region. It could be a, a city or region. It could be a country. It could be a demographic, but, you know, start narrowly focused so you can get the feedback and understand how your model should move going forward. Once you get good traction in that market, you know, there's only so much potential that you have. So you're going to have to go outside of that. And so you should understand the, the revenue potential in, in the market you're in and that you should recognize that usually it's greater outside of that. So, um, you know, it should be in your plans, especially investors want to see that you have a scale, a plan to scale and so it should you know you don't need to do it immediately maybe the, after the first year or two whatever makes sense but you don't want to overwhelm yourself in the beginning so it's really at the point when you believe that the time is ready to go beyond your existing market again whether it's a region a city a demographic uh, you you know usually at that point but it's usually in your plan from the beginning okay. if you do raise capital for investors they're going to want to see that you can build this thing to a bigger business too. And they're going to, some of them will push you to, to grow quicker. Um, you know, especially if you're a public company, you've got a lot of shareholders to, to deal with. And, you know, some of the big companies we know out there are always finding new ways to grow because they need to, they have to keep on adding value to their shareholders. Mm -hmm. So similar with smaller businesses, but not at that scale, but you still need to always, you need to have, a plan. If you're a one product company, that's, you got to have ideas around other products because that's not going to, mm -hmm. so eventually you're going to probably uh, slow down and investors are not going to want to generally invest in one product company. Okay. In a real general sense, um, I have um, capital uh, and I'm looking to scale. What comes first? Making sure you have um, the market share or the business uh, or do you immediately start putting the team in place to scale or do you have to have the business and revenue kind of in place lined up before that team steps in? Uh, I mean, you, you want to have a team whenever it makes sense and it doesn't have to be a full team. You can outsource some of it. You can have some part-time people. Someone should be full-time, preferably the CEO. Uh, you know, as you're building this out, especially if you're looking for capital, you need to have some full-time people. Uh, so every business goes through different stages and where you bring in different employees or different partners, different types of people based on where, where you want to go. So sometimes raise the money you raise is going to be to hire those people. Also that's in your hiring plans or in your capital use plans. So it's okay if you don't have it all there yet but it needs to be articulated uh, when you're talking to an investor. Mm, okay. Absolutely. So Jason, I have a quick question for you. Um, what, what in the first place even got you involved, not only with the Founder Institute, but just involved with, in working with startups in the first place and entrepreneurship? What got you involved in the first place? Yeah, so I started my career in Chicago in the late 90s, early 2000s, right around the first tech boom, uh, internet the dot-com era and I started my career in real estate and I just 
I was more of a relationship guy. I didn't want to sit behind a desk crunching numbers. And really, it started in college. I started building relationships. And so I had a chance to get out of real estate and, and started working at a company that was one of the early online matchmakers between entrepreneurs and investors. And I was building relationships, and I realized that entrepreneurs need more than just capital. Even though a lot of them lead with capital, there's a lot more needs in that. So I just started connecting people together, started building a lot of relationships with a lot of different types of people, went, go to, went to a lot of events, and it just kind of built off of itself. And it, 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 the lane for me stayed in the entrepreneurial community. And I've helped a lot of companies raise money. I help them with their pitch decks. I connect them to resources. I do a lot of startup events uh, to bring the community together. So it's just uh, you know, something I'm passionate about. And you know, I've been an investor at a venture capital fund. I'm work, uh, raising money for my own seed stage fund. And so the fact is, it's just it's who I am at this point. And I've spent so much time and resources in this community that you know, the Founder Institute's accelerated it as well because it really puts me uh, out there more to, to be a resource for entrepreneurs. Hmm. Is that, uh, when, about, uh, about what age did you start to realize that you had a passion for things like this? Is it something that uh, came supernaturally or is it something that you just kind of discovered about yourself uh, through, uh, throughout your career? So... I learned from my brother on the relationship side. So my brother and I were went to we were three years apart in college, but went to the same college. And my brother, early on in college, learned about the importance of building relationships while you're at college. He got actively involved with student organizations, and I was I joined one of the groups he started when I was a freshman to start building those relationships. So I, he paved the way for me, and I, I got a lot more out of my college experience by building those relationships. So. As I mentioned before, I started my career in real estate, and when I moved to Chicago in the real estate industry, I already had a lot of relationships. I went to school at the University of Wisconsin in Madison, so a lot of people would naturally go to Chicago. It's a great real estate market. So I had a starting point early on, and um, once I got into the entrepreneurial space, I realized that these entrepreneurs need a lot of connections and resources. So it's a part of who I am at this point. I've been doing this for about 20 plus years, and it's almost everything in my career has been a result of relationships and especially with all this, you know, bringing mentors to the founder Institute. It's a lot of the relationships I've built and I meet new people as well along the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's um, for our listeners. uh, That's really important um, to learn about yourself um, uh, to find out what, so it sounds like you're passionate about building relationships and, uh, and meeting people. And, uh, and then you see how entrepreneurship investing and all these things that you're into now live out that passion. I think that we get uh, kind of caught up in, you know, uh, I need to try this, 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 and this. And I tried cooking and, oh, well, I don't know if that's my passion. I tried uh, this sport. I don't know if that's my passion. But if you find that, it, that it's the things you do are not necessarily your passion, they are the vehicle by which you, you live out your passion. And, uh, and that's something that I learned as a filmmaker. My passion is storytelling. And um, I, filmmaking is just a very obvious way to uh, live yeah. out that passion and engage that passion. But uh, I got to a point where I realized, uh, I, I, you know, I thought that, you know, you know filmmaking, it, that just must be uh, my passion. But I realized, you know, looking back, like, you know, it was storytelling and all the things that I tried in the past 
that I was most interested in in whatever it was and now filmmaking just is this obvious uh use of that so that is a uh, that is that's cool to hear from you yeah and I I I like learning about people you know that's very interesting to me and then I like connecting people to other people because things happen that way I don't always find out what happens but it makes me feel good that I connect people together and you know and they appreciate it and so you know, those that show appreciation, it makes you want to do it more. Right. Yeah. And that probably comes from you like connecting with people. So it must excite you when you get to, when you get to facilitate other people connecting, which is something that you, uh, you inherently enjoy. That's really cool. For sure. So one thing that's interesting about the Founder Institute, which I think is different from uh, other accelerators and things of that nature is the ability and kind of the way that they frame it to the point where you can still have a day job right and mm-hmm. so many so many entrepreneurs start out with a day job um i'd say it's you know it's probably less likely that you start out with just no money right that, that'd be way harder to start a business so i have a question for you uh in your experience working with people like this uh at what point like at what point do founders typically feel comfortable provided that their business is doing well, at what point do they feel comfortable leaving their day job to pursue the businesses that they've started? So it varies. We, at, we recommend that within six months of finishing our program that they should quit their day job. If they're serious about building this, most don't have revenue at that point, but we have founders within our program that quit their day job while they're still building it. it sometimes they hit a point where, you know, they're ready to leave their job and they want to focus on this and they, they need to dedicate more time. So founders should have money saved up, you know, at least a year, sometimes two years saved up to live off of while they're building their company. Not everyone can do that, but they can, they can be frugal. We've had founders, you know, they, they, they sell their uh, condo, they sell their car, they move in with their family members. They live very, they live like they were back in high school. Right. Um, and and that's fine. You know, there's no shame in that. You do what you need to do and you can save the money that way. So it, it we've had founders that lost their jobs during the program and they just decide to focus on their startup. That's a lot of, a lot of founders start companies when they lose their day job and they want to just focus on their passion to build a company. And so you become very resourceful when you don't have income coming in. Um, and it's, uh, so we have, again, we have some founders that are still working on their day job. They haven't quit their companies yet, or they're, they have, haven't quit full, t- uh, their work yet to work full time on their business. But we have, we have some founders that they wait until they hit a certain amount of revenue and traction, then they're ready to quit their job. It's still not going to augment their salary they had, but, but they realize that they need to be full time on it to really grow it to, to the point where they want it, you know, to the level they need to feel successful with it. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. they raise a little capital and that's enough. They t- be able to pay themselves a little bit to work on a full time also. Mm-hmm. It's a very interesting idea, like quitting after or within six months of, of joining because I mean, for, for many entrepreneurs, well, within, that, it is a scary with graduating, thought. graduating and yeah, with graduating. graduating. Okay. Yeah. Cause that, that is a very scary thought just going out on your own in the, the uncertain world, uh, banking on your idea working, right? Uh, that's definitely something that a lot of the people, because that's actually a question I ask many entrepreneurs that come on this, this podcast is at what point were you ready to leave your job? You know, and that, that's a, a different response, but I think that really points to the idea where 
if you are gonna, if you do want something to be very successful, you need to put all of your uh, time and, and energy into it, you know? Well, that's absolutely right. We give them the tools and the guidance to build something before they do have to quit the day job. They're in a much better spot now when they're ready to do that because they already have built something and, and gotten some product market fit and have a model, um, you know, that they can, a business model that they can focus on. They're much more equipped. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Do, do, so we, yeah. Do they feel um, more equipped and do they, do you see, um, have you ever seen anybody go, go through the program that is definitely like, ah, I, there's no way I could quit and then get to the end of the program and feel a little bit more comfortable about doing that? Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of times their models change as a result of talking to mentors and getting feedback. And the Founder Institute also is a launch jumping off pad for many entrepreneurs or many soon to be entrepreneurs because this is what they need to push them to that next level. And they, a lot of times they were thinking about this anyways, but this program is that push for them. Mm -hmm. I like that. I like the, um, I, I really like the idea of the, uh, the Founder Institute, just this idea of resourcing uh, founders. And then, yeah, that is not a common, uh, I won't say that. Um, but again, like if you get caught up in the whole social media entrepreneur thing, it, there's this idea of like, you're not an entrepreneur until you quit your job. You know, you're not, uh, you're not doing it until you quit your job. But a lot of those people are also not saying is you have, you know, you have to put your all into it. That's true. But you, uh, it is, it is definitely going to help if you're resourced and if you are prepared uh, to, to do that, you know, and not going into things blindly. So I like, I right. like that about, uh, about the model. Um, For sure. So uh, Jason, before we conclude this, uh, do you have any questions for either Josh or myself? What drives you for doing the podcast, you know, in, in this, uh, why, why do you do this? I think uh, I, I can go and then Josh can go. Um, well, I'm an entrepreneur myself. I'm at a very early stage startup, a tech startup. And I kind of looked at this as a learning experience to meet other entrepreneurs who may be in a similar boat to me or in a position more advanced to me. Maybe they're a seasoned entrepreneur. So I really looked at it as a learning experience. And I thought it would be really cool if we could just start getting these conversations captured, especially in the Chicagoland area, to really kind of uh, get the message out there that you don't have to be in Silicon Valley to to create a good startup. So that's kind of why I'm doing this. How about you, Josh? Yeah, similarly, we, um, I, uh, similarly to you, Jason, I love meeting people and I love connecting uh, with, with new people. And there's so many instances in which I've met, you know, a person that, and it, it may just be somebody that I'm going to have one conversation with in my life. Yeah you know, and, uh, and I'll be sitting there. I'm like, man, I wish, you know, I know there's at least five of my other peers that could have benefited from standing right next to me in this conversation. Yeah. And, uh, and in the age of social media and YouTube and all, uh, all those things, uh, you know, getting on a zoom call and recording the conversation, I'm actually able to introduce all of my peers to these people that I've had that one impactful, uh, conversation. Um, and so that's, that's why I do it uh, for, you know, to learn, to speak to people, because I love uh, talking to new people. But then I also want everybody that I know and love to have that same experience. And that's, that's why I've been in, uh, that's why I got into this. 
Um, also, before we go, anything else that you, because uh, I know you, you, you mentioned briefly, I think you said the 12th co cohort, you wanted to talk a little bit about that. Anything you want to promote and where people can connect with you, ask you questions, Great. any of that? Yeah, we just finished our 12th cohort in Chicago and we have our 13th cohort launching in the fall. So we are, people are, can apply now. We're going to be doing a bunch of events pretty soon, but you can apply. It'll be starting in, in October timeframe and you can go to fi.co. Uh, fi.co will take you to the program. You can apply. You'll take that DNA test and you'll be notified shortly if you've gotten accepted. And um, so, yeah, keep an eye out for the events as well. We also have a meetup group that we post events. It's Chicago Startup Founder 101 that we, we have almost 9,000 members on that. So we are pretty active um, group and we post our events and other events on there as well. So we're looking forward to the next cohort coming up pretty soon here. Awesome. That's great. Sure. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us today, Jason. Yeah, I really appreciate having me as well. Thank you.